0: On. Berlin.
1: Standing here at the Rathaus Schöneberg in Berlin with Jason Honey hey. and uh, Adrian Shepard with uh, his ears uh, in between the uh, headphones because he's doing the techniques and
0: later on he will edit all this thing so that it will come out smoothly to your ears as you're listening now. Hey everybody, I'm Jason Honey a.k.a. Boy True, I am the shitty listener, this is Radio on Berlin and here we are on a balmy Monday afternoon at the Rathaus Schöneberg and uh, we're here to commemorate the July 26, 1963 address given by John F. Kennedy to an assembled crowd of about 450,000 people.
1: Okay, we are here because it's the 26th of June and it's exactly 60 years ago that uh, John F. Kennedy held the famous Ich bin ein Berliner speech here from The Balcony. We will come to this uh, part later where Jason will uh, give you all the uh, details and the non-details. But I am here with my voice because I thought to this story uh, you need to uh, know also the prehistory. And this all started in 1948 and that's another um, Jubilee that uh, the airlift of berlin started which is also in june 48. 1948, and that's 75 years ago and that's exactly the time that uh, was the starting point of everything that led up to kennedy standing here not only at the rathaus Schoenberg but doing that speech because at that time with one hunger winter in 46 one hunger winter in 47 with berlin reduced to ruins with people of everywhere working the rubble away starting to uh, uh, install new life in uh, in berlin the communist part who were here of course because uh, the soviet union took berlin with the battle of berlin were also trying to install power over here they tried to get the whole of berlin the whole of the city into their uh, might into their into the hands. soviet yoke Yes. You also have to get in mind that if you wanted to buy something here in uh, Berlin, you could pay with cigarettes, you could pay, buy, pay with uh, nylon stockings, you could pay with the old Reichsmark, you could pay with the elite dollars, you could pay, pay with the currency that the Soviets had. So it was a big uh, chaos. And to get this chaos aside, you needed one currency. And the elite, the Western allies, they brought in the Reichsmark or the the German mark, which the Soviet people didn't like. So that led to the blockade of Berlin. And everything had to come in with airplanes. At the same time, Stalin thought to get the power it is a very good idea to bring the Socialist Party and the Communist Party together and you have the SED, the Socialist Unity of Germany. But there was one guy in Western Berlin, Kurt Schumacher also a leader of the SPD, and he said, no, I'm not going to do this. So he had the SED and the SPD at that time, which was already the first division. And then after three months into the, the blockade, with the airlift uh, etc., the SED, they organized a very big occupation, a very big demonstration at the Rathaus which was uh, where they all uh, came together. It was not at the Rathaus, it was the Foyer uh, Society, it's just a great building uh, next to it. And they they all came to, to the Rathaus, and at, at uh, that time it was called the Magistrat, mm-hmm. uh, where this uh, local politicians come to decide things. Mm-hmm. So there was a very big demonstration outside, and the, uh, the Communists had taken care of all the people who come to Berlin to block the SPD and the other people to get inside and then inside they said okay we're all here together and now we can decide. So that's where they start, thought from okay we can decide for the, for the all of Berlin which they couldn't because the SPD guys with uh, Ernst Reuter yeah. who couldn't be the mayor because uh, the, the communists were against it, er, Ernst Reuter was an ex-communist who converted it to socialists. And that was the worst that you could get. So Ernst, Ernst, Reuter, Ernst Reuter was not allowed to be, to, to be the mayor of mm-hmm. Berlin. And you had the first <laughs> female <laughs> mayor of Berlin. Louisa, who was she? Louisa Muller. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, she was the first uh, to replace
0: Ernst Reuter. Oh, that's, inter- that's really interesting. Uh, I did so not know that.
1: So what they did is uh, they, uh, they had to come together to be their own magistrat, to be their own uh, city government. And first, I went to the Vrije Universiteit and para, para, para. then this, the Rathaus Schöneberg, became the local uh, uh, council for uh, West Berlin. Mm-hmm. So that's why we are at the Schöneberg. okay Schöneberg. It's at that decision. And now we come to Ernst Reuter and then you can take over. Ernst Reuter, that was after this uh, incident. Mm-hmm. He was really, really, really worried because it was a time that uh, that they were thinking of installing West Germany, and there was also other things uh, in the periphery of, of, of uh, Europe going on. From this will uh, come under the Soviet influence, and this will come under the uh, American influence, and he was very much afraid that they would take uh, um, Berlin as a kind of swap. You know, you get Berlin, and we get this, and he was really worried so he went to the Reichstag and and the Reichstag the Tiergarten there were only 700 trees left Mm -hmm. only 700 trees there's there's three and Mm a half kilometers of trees with every uh, a path of three and a half kilometers and every 10 meters left and right one tree so there was nothing Mm -hmm. there was the Soviet uh, cemetery Mm -hmm. so there was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people to listen to his speech Mm -hmm. and one Part of his speech was that he uh, reached out to the people in the world, mm-hmm. the people in France, the people in Britain, the mm-hmm. people in uh, the United States. From look at Berlin, it's your host uh, of the free Western world, mm-hmm. and don't give up Berlin. Right. Huh? Mm-hmm. And this is what Kennedy mirrored in his speech. That all the people of uh, the world were proud mm-hmm. to say that they were a citizen of Berlin. Mm-hmm. So this is. Ladies and gentlemen, the prehistory. So after that, uh, with this division of uh, East and West Berlin being almost a fact, you got all the things that build up to uh, the installing and the rising of uh, the Berlin Wall. 2000 years ago, the proudest post was Kiwis Romanus Sum. Today, in the world of freedom, the proudest boast is
0: Ich bin ein Berliner." Okay. Hey everyone, this is Jason Honey. I am Boy True, aka The Shitty Listener. And this is Radio on Berlin. Um, we're here in Schöneberg, Berlin, at the Rathaus Schöneberg to uh, talk about, and I guess quasi sort of commemorate, uh, the 60th anniversary of the speech of uh, the address that was delivered here by John F. Kennedy on July 26th of 1963. If I'm not mistaken, the amount of people here that day in attendance was 450,000.
1: Oh, so now, of not 120. Th- okay. so of <laughs> course,
0: uh, f- now, of course, 450,000 people did not fit into this parking lot. There must have pe- been people jammed all the way down up this way, over here in the park, behind us, down over there behind the church. I mean, there were just, must have been people absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, okay, so John F. Kennedy, Those almost three years in office. What a dynamic period in post-war US history, Cold War history. Yeah, Kennedy comes to office on January 20th of 1961. And already just a few months after that, we've got the Bay of Pigs situation in Cuba. And then in August of 1961, the Berlin Wall goes up. Okay. And then, in October of '61, we have a situation at Checkpoint Charlie where, probably for the only time during the entire course of the Cold War, um, both U.S. and Soviet tanks are looking down at each other barrel to barrel. Okay? Now, already in 1961, the wall has come up. Uh, A lot of people here locally felt that Kennedy uh, was too soft on that. Um, It's been made known to us later on that Kennedy felt it was better to have a wall than to actually have a war. I think it was also determined that Berlin, yes, important, was not worth starting a third world war over, okay? Um, So basically, his U.S. policy was dictated uh, then by his policy of sort of going light on the wall situation. Of course, he talked louder than that and bigger than that, but in reality, the situation was that we're going to just see what happens. Finally, we have the situation in October of 1961. It has everything to do with allied powers, occupying powers, being able to move from occupation zone to occupation zone. Um, Basically, the whole situation was really interesting. Um, One of our guys here in West Berlin, his name was Leitner, I can't remember what his office was. Maybe he was chief of the U.S. military office here in Berlin, or U.S. military mission here in Berlin. I can't remember exactly what his post was. But he wanted to go to an event in East Berlin, okay? He had diplomatic plates, he crossed over the border that night, this is October of 1961, and he was immediately pulled over and his vehicle gone through by uh, East German police as well as East German border guards, okay? um, and per the protocols per everything that was hashed out at Potsdam the summer of 1945, uh, that was not ever supposed to happen. Okay? It's my understanding that it ended up happening two times after that, okay? which prompted uh, Lucius Clay, our guy here in Berlin, to call his cognate in East Berlin and uh, to have a little discussion at which point the soviet representative in east berlin said well let's face it man because you guys have so many of your own tanks parked directly right near the border isn't that sort of a provocation and also too i mean really if we can't identify who you are which i found hard to believe because they actually had diplomatic plates um if we can't identify who you are then doesn't it seem normal to just like pull you over and just clear that up real quick and then let you go on your merry way well Then, I kind of agree with that, to be honest. Okay. Anyway, um, a few days later, a situation erupted in which a bunch of Soviet tanks, not East German, but Soviet armor, rolled into Berlin, I think there were 30 in total, and 10 of them ended up coming down Friedrichstrasse. And then we had a situation for about 24 hours where as I just described, Soviet tanks and American tanks were basically barrel to barrel, probably for the only time in Cold War history, okay? Thank God it only lasted 24 hours and thank God nothing happened. Anyway, Kennedy got on the horn with Khrushchev, okay? And basically, I guess, uh, it's my understanding, they spoke for 15 minutes. Kennedy basically told Khrushchev, look, you guys showed up first with these tanks. Yeah, we didn't. If you guys back off first, Kennedy said, I will go light on Berlin whatever that was supposed to mean, okay? Uh, And so then what ended up happening over the course of the next few hours is one Russian tank backed up 50 feet, an American tank backed up 50 feet, a Russian tank backed up 50 feet, an American tank backed up 50 feet. Yeah, so we had all that. What I failed to mention though, and what I forgot to mention though, which has a lot to do with Kennedy's uh, role in uh, Cold War Berlin, has everything to do with the Vienna Summit in 1961. I believe it was 1961 in which uh, Khrushchev basically gave the Allies an ultimatum, yeah, and he delivered it directly to the Americans. He said, "Um, you guys got to get out of West Berlin, We want all of you out of West Berlin. And uh, the ultimatum delivered a second time and said, actually, you know what, we need to have an answer by Christmas, because if you don't, then we're going to sign our own separate agreement, understanding treaty with the East Germans, yeah. That means we will no longer adhere to any kind of like Potsdam agreement we had or anything like that. It's all just going to be um, uh, between us and the East Germans now. So that was a really, really big deal, okay? Um, Kennedy kind of soft-pedaled on that. He didn't really quite know how to handle that right off the bat. He ended up delivering an address later on to the American public in which he mentioned that this whole thing had gone down. He also mentioned too that he wanted to borrow a bunch of money from Congress to create two new U.S. Marine divisions and I think three more American um, Army divisions. He activated the National Guard. Um, He sent, I think, 1,500 extra troops to the city of Berlin. Um, So things were getting tense, okay? And let's face it, the situation at Checkpoint Charlie, the Berlin Wall situation only made it tougher, all right? Then, in July of 1963, uh, July 26th thereof, he comes to Berlin, I think he was here for 24 hours. Maybe he was here only for 24 hours. Drove all around West Berlin, ticker tape parade, thousands of people it's a beautiful gorgeous day Um, thousands of people on the street people on rooftops you can see people standing uh, on scaffolding you can see people climbing up cranes you can see people waving Um, he was in a big huge motorcade uh, flanked by um, uh, west berlin police in their white coats on their bikes we can see the car that he was in He was in with Konrad Adenauer and Willy Brandt. Konrad Adenauer is the West German Chancellor. Willy Brandt was the mayor of Berlin. And there's Kennedy standing up, I think, at the front seat, waving, 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 waving. Yeah, like I said, ticker tape parade. Um, They arrive here. And, um, you know, Kennedy, here he is on the balcony that I'm looking at right now, that we're all looking at right now, okay? We're right underneath it, actually, but we're looking up at it. And here Kennedy then addresses uh, a group of, from what I understand to be, 450,000 people in which he was supposed to deliver a carefully prepared speech, okay? Well, at the last minute, he completely disregards that perfectly prepared speech and just throws together, cobbles together his own impassioned speech in which he basically recycles bits of an address that he delivered in New Orleans, I think about a year earlier. Oh, he mentions that old, um, that old Roman quote, uh, I'm proud to be a citizen of Rome, but in Latin it's Romanus sum. can't quite remember exactly how it's pronounced, but he took that and basically said, I'm proud to be an American, or I'm proud to be an American citizen. Uh, and basically in the spirit of that, that's why here on that address in Schöneberg, July 26th, 1963, he then throws in the Ich bin ein Berliner. Yeah. And um, another big part of that speech that doesn't seem to get remembered just as much as Ich bin ein Berliner is, uh, what's the Lassen Sie noch Berlin kommen. Yeah? If they want to work together, the communists want to work with them, let them come to Berlin.
1: No, yeah, he repeated that three times. We repeated
0: that three times, yeah? yeah? yeah. Okay, so basically he recycled the old uh, Roman quote, "Quibus um, Romanus Sum, and instead, I am a citizen of the United States, okay? And in the spirit of that, during our speech here, that's where the Ich bin ein Berliner come from, okay? Another phrase in the speech was also spoken in German. Lassie Berlin kommen, addressed to those who claimed we can work with the communists, a remark which Nikita Khrushchev scoffed at only days later. Yeah,
1: that's basically what the people in Ukraine say: "From Let them come to uh,
0: Ukraine." Let them come to Ukraine. Yeah. Um, now, as I mentioned, he completely threw away that perfectly prepared speech that apparently took months to write. Okay, just threw that to the side and uh, basically performed. He cobbled together that speech in his brain. He delivered another speech about two hours later after this one at the Freie Universität Berlin, and there he toned it way down. There he toned it way, way down. And if it's, I'm not mistaken, there he actually read the speech or spoke the speech that was actually prepared for him. Yeah? And they say that you can definitely ne- notice a difference in tone. Yeah, less dramatic, less histrionics, this, that, and the other thing. Um, yeah, but it's really interesting to be here. Um, I was here on Saturday. Saturday w- was, uh, okay, that would have been the 24th of July. It was the 60th anniversary of the speech. Um, where we're standing right now was absolutely jam-packed, as was the park. People all, all over, the people down the streets over here, people standing over there, people standing on the other side of the streets. Uh, the police presence was pretty nuts. Um, we had the U.S. Air Force Band here playing all kinds of like period jazz, playing hits, soft hits from the 60s. Um, We had the mayor here, we had Kennedy's cousin here, Shriver, what's her first name? I guess he's Maria Shriver's little sister or niece or something like that.
1: I only know one Shriver which is Ben.
0: Okay, anyway Shriver was the one who was married to one of the Kennedys. I can't remember which one she was married to. Anyway, a Shriver related to her was here. Um, There were all kinds of people from the US military here, the American ambassador was here. And like I said, a lot of people, mostly, mostly seniors. It was a sea of white hair, okay? There were some young people here. I was kind of hoping there would've been more. Um, The bells were chiming, which I thought was really neat too. Yeah, because apparently the bells were chiming on that day as well too, as the speech was being delivered. And as I mentioned earlier, I had some guests on my tour yesterday, a couple from Israel. And they were here Saturday as well too. And the guy told me that he was here as a little boy when that speech was delivered. He could remember it, really, he could remember it very, very well. Yeah? Um, and one thing that super impressed me is that the, the pedestal that they were using that day to address the assembled crowd here was the exact same one used by Kennedy on that day. I thought that was pretty neat. That, you know, the geek in me really appreciated that. And yeah, also being here at the Rathaus Schoenberg, you know, in preparing for this today, I ended up communicating with a buddy of mine in Belfast Um, and we were talking about the Rathaus Schöneberg, and he said, hey, you know, I only just recently noticed something. This is a little off subject, but I just wanted to throw this in because I find it interesting, looking at all this battle damage all over the building, yeah? Watching an old end of the war Soviet newsreel, all this black and white Soviet combat footage, and in Russian, I could make out that the narrator is saying, the Reichstag, the Reichstag, when in fact, you're not looking at the Reichstag at all. What you're looking at is the Rathaus Schöneberg. Okay, and um, then you can see all these Soviet soldiers pretty much assembled where we are right now with, you know, the red banners all standing around, giving you the feeling that the Reichstag has been taken. Um, I don't think at that early phase of the Battle of Berlin, the Reichstag had been actually stormed yet. But Renus made an interesting point that Stalin might have wanted that to appear so just in time for May 1st, yeah? So it's pretty interesting when you see this footage, you can quite clearly see they're calling it the Reichstag, Shooting the footage from down the road over here, but you can, it's quite obviously the Rathaus Schöneberg, and then footage inside of Red Army soldiers running around with, you know, their papa shops and their rifles. But it's right in here, you can totally take, make out the steps and everything. It's not the Reichstag whatsoever. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting sub-note. Uh, that's it, thanks for listening, and now we're gonna go inside and check out the exhibition.
1: Yeah, so uh, this was Radio on uh, Berliner. Part of the historic series. There's more uh, in our podcast, Radio on Berlin. Uh, on uh, just check it out. Or Radio on Berlin. You will find it on the internet and listen to it wherever and whoever you are.
0: And let's go check out the exhibition. Yep. Have been listening to Radio on Berlin. Yeah! Yeah.